It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. So this is part 30. Can you believe it? I'm on part 30 of a, of a series. Uh, Nathan, how many have you done in your Ephesians series? 38. I need to catch up with Nathan because I have like four of these a week and he has one of his Ephesians series a week. I'm going to catch him. Just watch. So this one's called The Map Room. And this is a very Eric Ludiesque uh, message. I have no idea if other people are going to find this as fascinating as I do. But for me, this has always been a very deep thing. And so in stumbling across it in World War II history, it has actually played a very significant role in this past week. Have you ever had it where God will, will use something that at first seems rather obscure and he will tie your life into it in a beautiful way? I have multiple things that are happening. Like, for instance, yesterday's message was very significant to me, and that's it was called uh, the Atlantic Hunting Grounds, and it has to do with how uh, Churchill had to cross the Atlantic Ocean to get to a meeting with Franklin Roosevelt in December of 1941. Critical meeting. He is going to stand before Congress. He's going to go up into Canada and speak before their parliament. And he is going to present a global vision for how the Allies can work together to deal with Japan and to deal with Germany. But he needed a clear mind. And with so much noise in his life, it was very difficult to see straight, let alone communicate a clear vision. And so that passage across the Atlantic was very significant. And so I'm going to piggyback on that because that was deeply moving to me. And at first, people could be like, why is that moving to you? It's because that's where I feel I'm at. I feel like I'm surrounded by U-boats, which is the German submarines. And I I have a passage in my life that I need to get through. And there's a lot of noise that is attempting to distract me. There's just a lot of noise with this COVID-19 and how it affects a ministry, for instance, how it how I need to navigate through these things. We had to cancel our advanced training, had to cancel our practicum training, had to cancel our summer training. It's like, hey, you know what? Those are domino effects that have huge impact on our world. And yet God has a commission for my life and for our life as a church, which is far beyond just this little minuscule season. So how do we see clearly for that which is beyond uh, at the same time go through that which we're in? And so that's why yesterday's message was very significant to me. And this one sort of builds on it in an unusual way. Like I said, that's very Eric Ludi-esque. The map room. So this is J.R.R. Tolkien. I have a little picture of J.R.R. Tolkien. He has nothing to do with our message, but it's always fun to stick pictures up. Because uh, I always want to have those that are live and in person feel like they get something bonus. Then all of you that just cheat and listen to it via podcast. Uh, and so this is speaking of Bilbo Baggins. It's a quote that I've always remembered in my life because even when it was said, I remember thinking, hey, Bilbo and I are similar. It says he loved maps. And in his hall, there hung a large one of the country round with all his favorite walks marked on it in red ink. I know, not that amazing of a quote, but it's a quote that I've always remembered. And so I even in my memory was like, what's that quote about Bilbo Baggins? He loved maps. And so I looked it up, and sure enough, that's, that's actually what the quote was. And uh, I couldn't remember all the other stuff in the quote, but he loved maps. has always stood out to me because it's a, it's a funny statement, but I used to love atlases. I'd love to like page through them and see them. I'd love to examine them and get to, I mean, all the different 
legends in there and the mile markers were very intriguing to me. The mathematics of a map, the measurements of a map, the how someone accurately portrays and maps all these things out and marks them. I mean, just intriguing. And then to test a map. I don't know if you've ever gone through this because we have GPS now. It's total cheating, right? But back in the day, you literally, I would test a map. It's like, okay, they say that it's 21 miles between here and there. Well, let's see. And I would monitor, and sure enough, it was 21 miles. And that was intriguing to me, that a map could be trusted. Now, you have to recognize, when I began to study the Word of God then, you'll notice that one in Ellerslie, one of my number one illustrations of how we handle the Word of God is it's like a map. Because a map is scientific. It is fact-based. And so when we approach the Word of God as if it is tested and tried in a furnace seven times, it has been like everyone in, in, the, in the world is testing it and trying to find flaw in it. And guess what? It, comes, it passes the sniff test. This thing is amazing. It is truth. And so Bilbo Baggins loved maps. And so now look who we're going to quote now, Eric Ludy. This is the first time in this series I've found a, a, an excuse to stick my face up there. So just like J.R.R. Tolkien was up there, now I get to say something. But I'm going to be speaking of Winston Churchill. It's a privilege. It's an honor, guys, to be able to speak of Winston Churchill. He loved maps. And in his war room, there hung large ones that covered every inch of every theater of the war with all the most important points of concern marked off with different colors. See, it sounds a little like J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien fought in World War I. You know, so J.R.R. Tolkien knew a, a thing or two about maps. And Winston Churchill loved maps, which is intriguing to me. Because as I study Winston Churchill, I'm like, well, I love maps too. You know who else loved maps? Franklin Roosevelt loved maps. And so we have all these key leaders in this war who love maps. And so as a result, there's a bond between all of us. So the picture isn't, it's a little difficult to see in the lighting, I think. But this is uh, Winston Churchill's map room. It's called Pym and Churchill's map room. That's uh, Captain Pym. And I guess he was a map expert. I'm not, I haven't studied Captain Pym at any level, but uh, th I don't know how you guys respond to that, but a map room, that sounds like about as fun of a place to go as exists on earth, a map room. I mean, I just want, if any of you, like Nathan and I are both the same in this regard too, you walk into a house and you see a, a, a wall full of books, it's like magnet and you just sort of walk up to the, and you want to study each, uh, each book title to see what sort of person they are. It's like you can measure someone. I'm always scared that someone will find all of my books that I read to find out what they are saying. <laughs> it's like I have to hide those books because I don't want them to think I think that. I'm reading that because I need to know what they think. All right, so there's two ways of looking at a, a bookshelf. Uh, so this, I think, this is my guess. Uh, this is like some reenactment, like wax uh, version of uh, Winston Churchill's map room. So, because that guy's not real. I, I've looked at the picture quite extensively. It's like, this guy's not real. He's like some wax figure. I don't know if that's supposed to be Captain Pym or not, but I think this is something you can visit in London. I haven't studied it at any level, but if I go there, that's definitely something I want to do. Uh, so look at this close-up of the map room. I think that's pretty cool. It has a little... Uh, arrow to Stalingrad and it shows like this string with black pins and it's showing the movements of the armies. I, I just, I want to work with this. It's like I want a task like this. This is really fun. So here we are, Winston Churchill talking, late December 1941. So he is now in Washington, D.C. He is with the President of the United States, huge journey across the Atlantic. And he says, we both, speaking of him and Roosevelt, both by need or habit, we're forced to do much of our work in bed. 
isn't that just sort of a strange, most of us don't think of the President of the United States and the Prime Minister of Great Britain doing most of their work throughout the day in their bed, okay? But hey, you know, I'm just uh, giving a quote. He visited me in my room whenever he felt inclined and encouraged me to do the same to him. Hopkins was just across the passage from my bedroom. In previous uh, sessions, I've talked about Harry Hopkins, who is uh, President Roosevelt's closest associate. He's not even in the government. He's just a buddy. He's like a close friend, and Roosevelt trusts him with his life. And so he's like staying in the White House with him. Wouldn't that be uh, fun to be a friend of the president? You don't have any political job. You just run errands for the president because he will trust you. So he would go out and visit Churchill, and the president would trust Hopkins more than anyone else. So Hopkins was just across the passage from my bedroom. And next door to him, my traveling map room was soon installed. The president was much interested in this institution, which Captain Pym had perfected. He liked to come and study attentively the large maps of all the theaters of war which soon covered the walls and on which the movement of fleets and armies was so accurately and swiftly recorded. It was not long before he established a map room of his own of the highest efficiency. The power of the map room. Now, most of us are not a prime minister, a president. We're not a general in a military maneuver. And so as a result, we can immediately say, well, I, I don't need a map room. And yet, the guy standing in front of you right now has craved a map room. I've wanted a map room my entire life. I didn't know what to call it, okay? I didn't have the term map room uh, in my mind until this. I'm like, that, yeah, there, there it is. I've had multiple inventions throughout my life. Uh, I remember one, before we had large screen TVs and projectors even, we had like overhead projectors. I mean, there were some really boring things back then. But I wanted to invent something which would enable me to like sit in a chair and have a control system and I could bring up all my different things on the wall. I've always wanted to stick things on walls, like huge things so I could see them because I have a propensity towards what we could call a messy desk. I don't like messy desks, but I have a propensity towards a messy desk. You know why? Because I'm visual. And I want to see everything, which is why when I have something that's important, well, I need to set it on my desk. And Leslie always wants to stick it in somewhere, you know, in some box in a cabinet. It's like, well, I can't see it then. And if I don't see it, I don't remember it. My memory and my sight seem to be tied closely together. So a map room is just like, oh, this is what I want. I want to be able to see things and where the movements are so I can stay abreast of it. I can stay tuned to what it is and I can remember all that is happening in this war. Because I'm in a war too. And I'm sort of like a general, but just very different. I'm not conquering physical territories. I'm not trying to defend physical territories. It's more spiritual concepts and themes and truths. And there's movements in this world of the devil and evil. And there's movements of the spirit of God. And I want to know where the devil is, what he's trying to do. And then I need to know how to counteract that. And I need to remember these things, right? So this is, this is fun for me. I mean, everything about this is intriguing to my mind. So in 1990, a journal begins. So in 1990, February 2nd of 1990, my life has changed. And I have this journal. I don't know how I had it, but I had it with me up at college. And I began to create my map room. Okay, I didn't know to call it that. But at the time, I began to record and to write down things that were happening in my life spiritual things that were happening in my life, to track them. And then I began to develop this at a greater level. For instance, I began to stick a pile of stones 
on the uh, little graphic, I would write it in, uh, in my journal, which would signal to me that when I review my journal to stop here, to make sure that I don't miss these key points, which is interesting because I have thousands of days where I didn't put a little pile of stones that I've maybe never reviewed because of my signal to say, don't miss this. This is a high moment. This is a key moment. Don't miss this. It's actually helped me remember a whole bunch of key things in my life. But if I don't put the pile of stones there, it may never get read again. But I began the journal. And I, it, as a writer, I would say probably one of the most impacting things on my ability to write was starting a journal. Because I was learning to coordinate my thoughts and experiences into, it was through a, a pencil or a pen at the time, and then it was transferred to a computer. It was actually really hard for me to move to a computer to type. You know that even after computers came out, and I had one, I probably even had a laptop by this time, I would still handwrite all of my books. And because I had a certain style for how I would do it, a handwrite, I cannot even imagine doing this now. Because I'm a typist too, I can type very, very fast. But then I would take my handwritten notes because I would make comments. Like I would have an arrow to the side and I would have about 10 different synonyms for this, this one word, but I hadn't landed it yet. So it's just like I would have a holding place there, but it's like, hey, I, I'm not accepting that as my word. So here are my 10 options that I will come back to. And I couldn't figure out how to do that easily in Word. It was before I got a Mac and went to Pages. And so as a result, I, I didn't like uh, word processors. It's like they were very limiting. And uh, so my journal was actually a beginning of a lot of what I do in my life now. In 1995, we're going to call it the sheet of paper begins. Now, this is going to seem strange, but this is a form of a map room for me. I carried around a notebook with me that had one of those clear vinyl covers, you know, where you can see through it and stick your little cover page in. Well, my cover page was my notes, my thoughts, my key things that I don't want to forget. Sort of like my messy desk. You should have seen this piece of paper. And I, I was even saying this to Leslie like yesterday or the day before. It's like, why don't I still have that piece of paper? It's like, did I throw it out? But if you were to look at that piece of paper, front and back, it was the curriculum of Ellerslie. If you guys saw it, I mean, all of us would really enjoy it because it's all the thoughts, all the metaphors over the years. Whenever I would have a key metaphor, I would write it down on this piece of paper. This was my map room. It was always before me, always with me, and if I had a thought, I would write it down, and it was like every direction, up and down, different size fonts or writing. And it was a very, very sacred thing to me. That's why I cannot figure out. It's like if you said, where is that sheet of paper, Eric? It's like, I have no idea. It's Ellerslie. You know, so somehow it morphed into a campus. <clears throat> In 2000, the dream for a Ludi map room begins. Now, I didn't know what to call this. I didn't call it a map room, but I would tell Leslie, it's like I want a whole room in our house where literally the walls are solid and I can begin to like pin paper up on it. I can stick my thoughts up. And so I can just sort of stand back and see it all at one point in time. Now, like I said, this is a very Eric Ludi esque message. Okay. I don't know if anyone else on earth functions this way. It's funny because I, I've had discussions with people. It's like, how do you see numbers? And like numbers, what do you mean? See numbers? Like, I'm just, I'm just asking you a question. How do you see numbers? Like the number three, where, what does it look like to you? Like, what, what are you talking about, Eric? Well, the number three to me is right here. And I'll like point right in front of me. Any of you that are getting this pod, be a podcast or missing out on some good stuff, but zero is down here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 10's right here. 11 is right here, and you go up to 20. But when you get to 20, you zoom in. So now 20 is right here. And then you go up to 30, and then 40 is over here. 
Now, you could look at me and go, you are weird. But I look at you as weird because you don't think that way. In other words, all of us have a way in which our mind processes. If I'm going to add 30 plus 70, which is over here, but I'm zooming in on it, then I get 100, okay? And my, my mind is very mathematical, but it would totally confuse you. I remember the first time when I was in college and I realized people don't think like I do. I mean, I just presumed everyone thinks this way. And I was, people were looking at me all around this table. I was at a restaurant with them and we were talking about these things and they're looking at me like, okay, you are just weird. And I'm thinking, I, I think I'm the norm and I think all of you are weird. All of us are weird uh, in that sense. And all of us have different things that trigger memory. So one of the things that I would want to bring up in this is not all of us are supposed to do any of the things I'm even saying here. But every single one of us needs to do something that I'm going to bring up. And that is remember. It is a command in Scripture. We are to remember that which God is doing. So remembrance, the power of keeping in mind. Have you ever had the thought that I will never forget this? In fact, you've even said it to people. I will never forget this day. I'll remember it for as long as I live. I'll think about it every day of my life. And then one week later, you've forgotten it. It is a profound reality that we forget. Remembrance takes work. Forgetting is just normal behavior. Humans forget. They do not remember. And so we need to remember that. That to remember is a command because it's important. And if you don't exercise remembrance, you forget. But to remember takes strategy. You cannot just accidentally remember. You have to do things. Now, there are different strategies that people have had throughout the ages. Do you remember It's a Wonderful Life? And who's the guy that always wrapped uh, little strings around his fingers? What was his name? Uncle, I want to say he was an uncle something. You guys don't... What all six of us in here do not remember? This is ridiculous. And I mean, the whole point of my message is remembrance, and we can't remember what that guy's name is. That's horrible. What a terrible illustration uh, this is. Remembrance. The Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Write this in a book so that you can remember it. Okay, that's actually what that's meaning. Now, this is the beginnings of the Bible. So think about that. Even the basis of what the Bible is is a help for us to remember. Remember what? Who God is, what God has done. And so as a result, you get all the way to communion in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 11, you do this in remembrance. Okay? This is like an idea that is done specifically in this thing called the church so that we are constantly remembering the work of the cross. Winston Churchill's On the Second World War. That's actually the name of his book, okay? On the Second World War, it's a remembrance. The detail that he is going to go through, when he was going through World War II, I mean, he was in World War I as well, but when he goes through World War II, he is going to document every single thing that happens. Every memorandum, every letter, he has it documented and archived. And so every phone call, every conversation. So he is able to, when it comes to creating his memoirs for on the Second World War, which I would highly encourage you to read. It's uh, rather dense and thick. Uh, but it is remarkable because literally you are brought into the most intimate feelings that he had at key moments. You get his thoughts. You get quotes from conversations he's having with people that he wrote down. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing uh, to, to recognize that he exercised the art of remembrance because of what he had gone through, and he recognized 
that the power of remembering is so critical for history. If we don't remember, we repeat. And what happened in World War II is something you do not want to forget because we do not want Hitler again. Eric and Leslie Ludy's When Dreams Come True. I had to get, uh, you know, my picture in this one and one of my books. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not trying to do a shameless marketing campaign for it. But what's interesting is when dreams come true, I remember Leslie and I went back to our journals. And this is the story of our love story. We wrote, I don't know, it was a few years after we were married. And it's really good, by the way. Uh, and we had to unpack. And I, I remember feeling like even as we were going into it, we were only a few years removed from it, and I could, I, it was vague and foggy. But going back to journals actually brought out real quotes, real events in detail that I had already forgotten. It's like, I'd totally forgotten about that. That was shocking to me that so quickly I could lose clarity on something so huge in my life. I mean, it's somewhat scary if you think about it. And so as a result, the power of remembrance is significant and important. So the exercise of remembrance can make or break the war. So for Winston Churchill, he's recognizing he is at a point where once the Japanese enter the war in December of 1941, Pearl Harbor, they're going to uh, attack some of the British uh, colonies as well in the Pacific, and it's going to awaken a whole other dimension of the war. Churchill feels stretched beyond what his brain can handle. He's having a tough time just keeping track of the Western Front and to protect just Great Britain. I mean, France, just on the other side of the English Channel, is taken by the Nazis. And so just right across the English Channel, you have a foe. Then uh, Germany invades Russia, and Russia has fallen to pieces uh, about this time. And they're, they're being pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And they're demanding all the resources from Great Britain to survive. Great Britain doesn't want Russia to fold because if they do, then that means the Nazis have all of that, their soldiers, all of their land, all of their timber, all of their oil, and they become stronger. So he needs to support the communists just to somehow offset the Nazis. I and mean, this is a tough decision, right? Then he has the, the Mediterranean theater and all the Middle East and all that's going on down there, which does not stop because Germany has a very powerful force in the Middle East with Erwin Rommel, and he is like unstoppable. And they have to choose where they're going to put their resources. And then guess what? Japan enters the battle. Oh, no. You see, America was directing all of its resources, all of its bonus resources, because America was a neutral at the time, to Great Britain. Oh, that's so comforting to know we have all of your resources. But then Russia enters the war, and guess what? Russia's like, hey, give us the resources. So Great Britain sees a lot of their resources that were going to come to them going to Russia. And then America enters the war, and guess what? They don't have extra resources now. They have to defend themselves. And so as a result, you can just feel what Winston Churchill's feeling. He's feeling thin. <laughs> He's feeling stretched. He's feeling like I can hardly think straight because you have a huge map on the wall, and I need soldiers everywhere. I need competent armies and military responses to movements of three different armies, the Italians, the Germans, and the uh, Japanese, I don't know how you're feeling in this, but I'm getting stressed talking about it, right? So in my life, Leslie and I have had the discussion many times. It's like, we need to simplify our life. 
I can't tell you how many times we've had that discussion. And then we look at the board and we're like, okay, what are we supposed to cut out? Our defense against the Germans, our defense against the Italians, or our defense against the Japanese? And then we look at each other, we can't cut any of that out. All right then, <laughs> what do we need? We need grace. We need something beyond what we have in a human sense. A lot of us try and, I mean, there's two ways. I, I'm all for simplification, by the way, and I will do it whenever God gives me the opportunity to do it. But sometimes you're in a Winston Churchillian situation where what you need is not to you know, just ignore Japan in the Pacific or just ignore the Italians or just ignore the Germans. You actually need grace. You need a greater measure of God in your life. And that's oftentimes where God has led me. He has led me to trim things out many times too. The exercise of remembrance will make or break the war. Pile of, the pile of stones. In history, in, in the history of the, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, you're going to see this pile of stones. The cross of the Jordan, they're going to go in and collect stones from the empty uh, basin, and they're going to bring it out and make a pile of stones. Why? So that whenever you see that, you will remember. So they were a symbol of remembrance. We have this all throughout the Old Testament. So this is an actual graphic of the pile of stones that I made 20, 25 years ago. I don't know. It's been a long time. I made it on my computer. And then it was, it's a little JPEG graphic that every time I would copy and paste it into my journal, because my journal became digital somewhere along the line. And uh, there it is. So that's the real authentic one, bitmapped and all big uh, for all of you guys to enjoy. See, that shows you that it, there really is a benefit, even in the midst of a quarantine, to come to the live Daily Thunder so you could see that. To remember, using effort to recall an idea. Isn't that a fascinating way of saying it? Using effort to recall. Most of us don't like to have to work, and so as a result, we don't want to have to use effort to recall. To remember is to use effort. Have you ever had it where you know, you know about something, but, oh, it's going to be a strain to try and dig it up? This is actually a part of the Christian life that is essential, not bonus, to bear or keep in mind. It's an action. To preserve the memory of, to preserve from being forgotten. Don't ever forget this. Remember the days of old. Now, when we hear that, it sounds poetic, and it sounds like some uh, you know, historical thing where there's music in the background, like a movie. It's like, remember the days of old, once upon a time. When in actuality, it's a command to remember the days of old. <laughs> do you remember the days of old? I, I, what do we mean by the days of old? Do you remember what Jesus has done? When we get together like on Zoom, which is what it's been of late, and we have our prayer times, and we'll say, okay, guys, let's declare the works of God throughout the ages. That's what we're doing. We're remembering the days of old. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth. You guys remember that? He did. You know who that he is? That's Jesus. As it says in John 1, he did that. And so that's just one of the things that we remember. But then we can recount throughout history as the body, let's remember the days of old. Because that God of old is the God of today. And the same things he did back then, he is able to do today. So to remember, using an effort to recall an idea, to bear or keep in mind, to preserve the memory of, to preserve from being forgotten. Albert Einstein, I, said, I shared this yesterday, and it was just a fascinating quote that I think actually originally came up on MeisterTask. You know, where for our team, we use MeisterTask, and they have a little quote, and usually the quotes are, you know, 
Some of them are interesting, but some of them are like, okay, you got to be kidding. I don't know if you know your audience, but that's, that doesn't appeal to me. This one was just fascinating to me. It's not that I'm so smart. It's just that I stay with problems longer. And so yesterday, that's what my theme was. It was focus. It was dogged focus where if you need wisdom, you go after it, and you don't relent until you solve the Rubik's Cube because God has promised that he will supply what you need. And so for us in remembrance... When I think of writing a history of Ellerslie, for instance, okay, now that sounds rather exhausting right now. It's been 10 years since we started on this campus, and there are so many adventures we've gone through, and my journaling has fallen into disrepair at times throughout that, and so it's like, oh boy, it just sounds hard to remember, to recount, and yet, if I spent a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, and just started digging, you know that with the passage of time, things would unearth and gold nuggets would come to the surface. I sit down with Nathan. I go, Nathan, I want you to dump out everything you remember. And here's what I have. And then I would stir him and then he would say, oh, remember this one? Remember this one? And, you know, let's talk about the funniest moments. And then, you know, Preston jumps in and shares one of the funniest moments. Oh, boy, totally forgot about that one. But now I remember. And so we unearth and we bring these things up and build a pile of stones. It's an important exercise for our souls that every single one of us should consider. So this was the quote from Napoleon yesterday as well, which I'm not going to try and read the French version. If you listen to the podcast from yesterday, you can hear my French attempt, which I don't speak French, so it was terrible. Focus on objects for a long time without tiring. To actually not relent to say, God, I am going to remember. I am going to give an effort to keep in mind that which you have given me to keep. So we're going to finish with this. This is James 1, and this is the same thing I finished with, with yesterday as far as a concept. If any of you lacks wisdom, we are in need of perspective. We are in need of direction. We are in need of clear sighting. Okay, if you're making a decision in life, what you're craving is a map room. What you're craving is to be able to see, okay, the enemy's coming down here. You got a little black string like that, and here's where our troops are. Here's where we're at, and here's what we need to do. Wisdom in its application, almost the best use of it is in war, in my mind, at least for me, okay? Metaphorically speaking, a general seeing all of his resource and seeing the enemy's resource and the position of the enemy, and then God saying, do this. Do this with your resource. Do this with your time. Do this with that which you've been entrusted. Okay. You look at the Old Testament and you see the maneuverings of military instrument, right? You see David being led of God. You see Jehoshaphat being led of God. You see Hezekiah being led of God. To do what? To win battles. And the same is true for us. We're not fighting physical battles, but we're fighting spiritual ones. And we need to navigate with this life. We need to see clearly. Now, maybe not all of us are visual like I am. Okay, I'm not sure because I've only been in one human body, and I'm not sure what other people deal with when it comes to remembrance. For me, I love to see. So I have all sorts of different inventions that I've been working on. I mean, over the years, I have tried to invent all sorts of things for this. When Leslie and I uh, go on a, like a getaway, a a focus getaway, a ministry slash business slash family getaway to like strategize things, what we will do is we'll connect my laptop to the HDMI port of the TV in like a hotel room or wherever we're at. And I will have it organized on my screen so that we can see it. And then I'll move it around. I don't know if it helps Leslie. It helps me. 
So all our different things that we're talking about, I'll create boxes for it, and I'll create links to it, and I'll create little sub things. I'll just put it on the page like a thought that we have, a scripture we have, and I'll create this vast and elaborate map room. And so that's why it was so intriguing in reading this. It's like, I, it is a military battle. That's what we're in. We're dealing, I'm not dealing with the level and the scope of what Winston Churchill was dealing with. Mine is pathetically small next to that. But I can relate, and I need the same visual clarity to me. So, like, for me, even now, I've, I've been pondering over this past week as I've been preparing this, like, okay, God, I need to know what is needed for me to begin to chart out where I'm at now. My world is complex. When I think of all the different moving parts in my life, I come up with, just the other day, I did a quick brainstorm, and I had 19 different dimensions of my life that I'm trying to keep track of that all need input close to daily. And they need to be stirred like a pot on the stove. So I have 19 burners and I need to be stirring them. That's hard because my brain can usually handle about two or three. I'm a guy. I have to focus, right? So 19 causes smoke. Uh, If you're here and you can see this live, smoke's coming out of my ears, okay? I wish I could, uh, you know, show you what it's looks like, but it it is, it's like real smoke. I can even smell the burning. And it's hard at times to be able to see it all at once. And so what I'm asking God is to help me with that map room dimension of my life. And I think for each one of us, it's different, but it starts with the desire to see clearly. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks that clear sighting, to know what you need to do right now, to be able to see how you need to handle the Germans, the Italians, and the Japanese all at once, how you need to have a speech ready for Congress and Parliament, and you're in your foreign land, you have, you know, you feel a little, uh, you know, like you have sea legs still after a journey across the Atlantic being hunted by U-boats. You're not yourself. This isn't, you're not feeling completely together, and you need to be on your game. What do you need? You need wisdom. You need grace. You need God. If any of you lacks this, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. God will give you every single thing you need for right now. You need it, he has it for you. So, as we talked about yesterday, you grip God and you gaze upon him and you do not let go until you get that which he has promised to give you. Pull a Jacob, so that your name too can be Israel. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. Let's go after it, and let's trust that God can sharpen our focus. Father, we ask for this together, and even though we're a small band of soldiers today and here live, Lord Jesus, I pray, that you would work mightily, not just in us, but in all those that are listening, to sharpen our focus as the church of Jesus Christ right now, to give us clarity and wisdom for this battle. How are we to respond to the circumstances that we are in, financially, physically, practically? 
Lord Jesus, are we to wear face masks if we're not supposed face coverings? Is this what we're supposed to do? How do we show respect to the world around us yet at the same time model Christianity? Are we supposed to social distance as the church? I mean, you tell us to greet each other with a holy kiss. What are we supposed to do? We need wisdom in right now. Lord, for those that are struggling financially, for those that are struggling physically, for those that are struggling with fear and anxiety, Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray for sharpness, that we would have the map of your purpose out in front of us. We would see it, we would understand it, we would remember what you know we must remember. Lord, may we exercise this dimension of our soul for your glory, honor, and praise. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.